Okay, let's look at our scripture that can be found in Romans 2, 17 through 29. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you, not steal? do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who uh, is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. The word of the Lord. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, knowledge is power. It was actually coined by the founder of my alma mater, Thomas Jefferson, in regard to creating the University of Virginia. He was lamenting or saying that Virginia was one of the most influential states, yet it had no college. It needed a university to train people. Now, we know this is true, that knowledge is power, right? It gives you power to do all sorts of things. But is knowledge virtue? Socrates thought so. He thought that virtue was knowledge because all living things aim for their perceived good, and if they don't know what the good is, how can they do it? But if they know what the good is, they will go ahead and do it because they will aim for what is good. Socrates has been proven wrong, that knowledge is not necessarily virtue at all. In fact, if you look at the early 20th century, the most educated country in the world with the highest literacy rate and the best education system was Nazi Germany. I don't know if you know the name Francis Hagen. Francis Hagen was the whistleblower last year for Facebook, who took tens of thousands of documents showing that Facebook, who was uh, the most sophisticated company on the planet in mining data and looking at information recognized that their product was being harmful to people and yet did nothing about it, choosing profits over people, as Francis said. Knowledge does not in itself lead to virtue. And Paul shows that in this passage, right? See, the Jewish people, he's giving an indictment against, and Paul is a Jew himself, but he's saying that this concept of, I know what is right, therefore I will do what is right, is not true. Because knowing the truth is not the same thing as living the truth. You see, 
Your life does not flow out of what you know. Your life flows out of who you know. What makes a Christian different than anyone else is Christ. You in Christ and Christ in you. And what what enables us to live like Christ is because Christ lives in us. And he will work through us as we submit to him. And so we must choose to live out and walk out this Christian life, not simply by our own knowledge and understanding, but rather to submission to Christ who is within us. Well, how do we do that? There are three things we need to understand. The first is this. We must recognize that there is no power in principles, that knowledge is not enough. Number two, we must recognize that living by my own power will always end in failure. And then finally, number three, we must recognize that power comes through Christ. Because my life does not flow out of what I know, my life flows out of who I know. So let's begin. Number one, there is no power in principles. Paul has been going through, we've been looking uh, at Romans here where Paul is giving the clearest exposition in the scriptures of the gospel. And he's been speaking to the church at Rome, which is filled with Jews and Gentiles. And as Paul is going through the gospel, he's giving us the bad news up front. That we are sinners in need of a savior. That all of us have exchanged worship of the true God and chased after other things as well. And this is a very important part of the gospel. Because until you see the cross as that which is done by you, you will not appreciate what it has done for you. So Paul is now turning and he's uh, talking to uh, the Jews here. But if you call yourself a Jew, is he speaking specifically to someone or some group of people in the church? Not necessarily. This is what's called a, a diatribe. He's creating an imaginary figure and he's arguing with that figure. Notice what he does. Verse 17, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God. In other words, if you are a Jew and your boast is this, that God has visited us, our people, he has given us the law, and therefore we are righteous because we know what is true and God has given us this information. And furthermore, verse 18, and you know his will, and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. In other words, the reason I'm righteous is because I know this is true, I agree with it, and I believe that this law will give me life. In fact, there was a saying back in ancient Israel, more Torah, more life. In other words, the more I read and the more I uh, uh, follow the Torah, the more life I will have. Paul is saying is, if this is your attitude, and furthermore, your attitude, you believe this so much that you think that you are a teacher, verse 19. And if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in the darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children. In other words, you're in the know. And you can go out to all of the others who are in the darkness and you can bring illumination and light because you are on a different spiritual plane. 
because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. By the way, he's, he's sort of giving a, a backhanded insult because the reality is this attitude resulted in a disdain of the Jews for everyone else, for the Gentiles. In fact, they referred to the Gentiles as dogs. It's not a kind of knowledge where I, I'm looking forward to helping you grow so you will flourish, but rather I'm teaching you as one who is wise to one who is foolish. Paul is saying, if this is your attitude, then verse 21, you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? Paul is saying, if you know these things, why do you do them as well? Now, is he saying that they all steal, that they rob a bank? Well, maybe. There are many ways to steal, aren't they? You can steal someone's dignity. You can steal someone's joy. To steal is to take that which is not yours. Paul is saying, if you preach against this, do you do this yourself? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Meaning, do you actually go so far as to actually breaking into a temple and stealing someone else's idol? Paul sums up it by saying, you who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. You claim to be righteous and live righteously because you know his word, but you break his word. He's saying that boasting and having the law makes no difference in the way that you are living. In fact, your life looks very, very similar to that of the world. In other words, having access to the truth is not enough. He's speaking to all Jews here, right? If you call yourself a Jew, and certainly there is a spectrum. I'm sure there were knaves and, and uh, you, you know, Jews who were really, really bad, and there were other Jews who were seeking to follow the law. Paul was one of them, right? Paul was seeking with all of his heart to follow the law. And yet between both of those people, an outright uh, liar, thief, and murderer, and Paul, they're all in the same boat. Because Paul is saying, verse 28, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. What Paul is saying is true of all people, that you cannot change your life from the outside in. Because principles have no power in themselves. Knowing what you should do does not necessarily make you want to do it. I don't know if you're familiar with the World News Daily. WND is the name of the website. It's a conservative news website. And last year, they launched a billboard campaign. What America needs is the Ten Commandments. They said crime has skyrocketed in every way, especially in major cities and even the government. And no one is held accountable for it. They seem to embrace it or ignore and inflame it. Many believe it's too late that we may lose America. And so they launched this campaign to 
placed the Ten Commandments on billboards all around the world, all around the country, because if people see what the law says, that they will be convicted and they will behave in a different way. They will change their behavior. And I'm here to tell the World News Daily that they are wasting their money. Because knowing the truth and walking in the truth are completely two different things. And you cannot change your life from the inside out. Paul is saying you can think you're a Jew and not be one. See, the Old Testament law has always pointed to Jesus Christ and the grace that Christ brings. Christ is the life changer, and yet they didn't see it. Jesus indicted the Jews in John 5.39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now, what does this mean for us? I mean, we're not Jews, right? I think it means that you can think you are a Christian and yet not be one. That you can grow up in the church, that you can hear the Old Testament and even the New Testament and the gospel throughout your life and mistakenly equate knowing the Bible and even the gospel and being a Christian. Well, how do I know if that's true of me? Think number one is that your Christianity looks a lot like Judaism. That the sum of your Christianity is this, I need to do good and stop doing bad. But there's no cross. There's no need of anything external to yourself except to follow the recipe. Many sermons in Christian churches around the country could be given just as easily in a synagogue and nobody miss a beat. Because many sermons are simply about moralistic, therapeutic behavior. You know, you may know that you're not a Christian if that's what your Christianity looks like. And further, you look at people like those Jews looked at the Gentiles. The looking at unbelievers, and they're the dogs, the unclean, the morally bankrupt, the ones that I don't want to have anything to do with. And my only role every now and then is to emerge from my church to teach and tell them what is right. The reality for those people, is that your confidence can be in yourself. And as such, you're forced to lie to yourself and to act better than you are. But you have no power. No power to love. No strength for holiness. No joy in forgiveness. And your life, honestly, looks like everybody else. Because you see, in the end, our life does not flow out of what I know. It flows out of who I know. The Christian has been given a new identity in Jesus Christ and is to live out this life through faith in Christ. The only one who has ever lived the Christian life is Christ himself. 
And Christ came to inhabit our lives, that he might live in us and through us as we submit to and depend on him. See, what makes a Christian unique is Christ himself in us. Jesus did not come to earth to get us out of hell and take us into heaven. He came to earth to bring God himself to rest inside of us that we might manifest him on this planet to the world. This leads me to my second point, that if I seek to live by my own power, whether I'm a Christian or not, it will ultimately end in failure. Notice how Paul concludes in verse 24, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And what is the reason that the name of God is blasphemed? The reason is hypocrisy. Everyone has always hated hypocrites. Jesus himself had some of the worst things to say about hypocrites, right? Matthew 7, 5, you look at your neighbor so you can take the speck out of his eye, but you neglect to see that you have a log in your own eye. Hypocrite, he says, take the log out of your eye and then you will be able to see. This word hypocrite, which is hypocrites in Greek, the literal translation, well, not the literal translation, but what it referred to is a stage actor. Stage actors back then were called hypocrites. About an hour from Nazareth was the city of Sephora, which actually had a theater, a 3,000-person theater, where they would hold stage plays. And certainly it was uh, verboten for Jews to go visit this, but Jesus, in fact, Jesus might have helped actually build that theater, um, would have been familiar with stage actors. The word hypocrites or hypocrite, literally means in the Greek, to interpret from beneath. And the reason this makes sense is because stage actors wore a mask. And so even though they wore a mask, they would speak, they would interpret from that which is beneath. And that's what a hypocrite does. In other words, what is hidden is different from that which is publicly displayed. This was God's cry against Israel. Uh, Isaiah 29, 13, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In Joel 2, 12, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. See, God gave Israel the law not as a substitute for faith and trust in God. <clears throat> Paul is going to demonstrate this in Romans 4 when we look at Abraham. But rather the law was given so that they and we and everyone would know the need that we have a need for salvation, a need for a savior, a law that would humble us so that we would recognize that there is no power in principles alone. But instead, what the Jewish leadership did was they made it an idol. They reinterpreted the law to do their bidding. 
The Old Testament was to the Jew every much an idol as the golden calf. See, when our lives don't match up with our beliefs, there is a problem. Why was Paul calling them hypocrites? Because they weren't perfectly righteous in their conduct? No, rather the fact that they claimed to be righteous, but acted unrighteously. In Psalm 36, it says, An oracle within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his own sin. See, Paul is lambasting this Jew because the message they are professing is not the goodness of God and his mercy and his grace and righteousness, but rather their own righteousness. You will always proclaim that which you worship, by the way. And everybody worships something. These people worshiped themselves. And so they proclaimed themselves. But we as Christians know better, right? 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, you and I hate hypocrisy as much as the next person. Somebody at work who preaches the company line, but then goes ahead and does the exact opposite. At school, the girl who says nice things to your face. And then when you're not there, she tears you down. At church, the person who worships the Lord on Sunday and Monday to Saturday is an entirely different person. But one of the most attractive things to us is integrity. It's really the antonym of hypocrisy. The word integrity comes from the Latin word integer, which means wholeness. An integer is a whole number rather than a fraction. In other words, the inside and the outside match each other. One over one is one. You see, as for the Jew back then, so for the person now. That even as a Christian, if we seek to live the Christian life devoid of the Spirit of Christ, it's impossible. It's a futile task. Because we cannot live from the outside in. We must live from the inside out. I remember a terrible fate that befell our house several years ago. We uh, went on vacation, and uh, this was a little while ago, and we had, uh, I think, at least one cat at the time. I, I lose track of whatever. We don't have any cats now, thank goodness. But someone was to come over and care for our cat. Well, Somehow the, 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 the communication got messed up. And so this, this uh, gal, this young gal, high school gal, she didn't find the cat or see the cat. And she didn't know when she had actually accidentally shut one of the doors that the cat was in. And so for a full week, the cat just kind of hung out in there. And the cat survived, but the room really didn't. Because the cat obviously had to use the bathroom, right? And so all of what the cat did went through the carpet into the pad underneath and into the wood underneath. 
And you could take everything out, right? You could steam clean, you could do whatever, but you could never, ever, ever get that out. We had to go in there and rip out everything and restart from the bottom up, from the inside out. And this is what Jesus said, right? Clean the inside of the cup and the outside will be clean as well. And that is what Christ came to do. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a hypocrite. But the only way to be a hypocrite is to claim to be something that you're not. If you're not a Christian, I'm telling you that the answer is not to clean up your act. That is not the message that I am communicating here. In fact, Paul is denouncing the Jews for doing this. It's rather to recognize that you are not the answer. That what you're looking for and what you need is Christ in you. But if you are a Christian, you must know that our message to the world is not I am righteous by my own actions, but he is. That I am not perfect, but I am forgiven. Well, aren't we called to live righteously? And the answer is yes. But not in ourselves. But rather by grace, through faith in him and in his power and his life, which resides inside of us. We must recognize and acknowledge that anything good that I am doing is a gift and a blessing from him by his grace and his power. We must not fall prey to the false gospel that you are the answer. Other churches have done it. In fact, the church of Galatians did it, right? Paul said, are you so foolish, having begun by the spirit, that you're now trying to be perfected by the flesh? Because the Christian life does not flow out of what I know. It flows out of who I know. What makes a Christian different is Christ. You in Christ and Christ in you. And what enables us to live like Christ is because Christ lives in us. And he will do so as we submit and surrender to him. Which brings me to my final point, that power comes through Jesus Christ. Paul summarizes the end of this passage by saying, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Paul is speaking here of the inward Jew, that's synonymous with being a Christian. See, the Jews believed but that by having the outward rite of circumcision, this physical trait, that that would result in some sort of transformation in their life. And God is saying, no, this was simply a picture of what God promised to do for his people. All the way back in Ezekiel 36, 26, he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said that you must be born again. Think about that. God is saying here that I will put my spirit in you, my presence, my power, that God himself will take up residence in the Christian's heart and cleanse us and change us and soften us from the inside out. And his presence and his life will move from within us to follow his decrees and to keep his laws, to desire to love God and his ways. When you think about Christianity, it's actually a little insane, isn't it? That the God of the universe inhabits the hearts of Christians and begins to work from the inside out. You know, it's Jesus that came to this earth to show us what this would look like. Jesus came with the express purpose of becoming a man, the second Adam. And all that Jesus did on earth, he did as a man. And Jesus demonstrated to us a life filled and empowered by his Father through the Spirit. His mission was to surrender and submit to the Father working in him. Remember in John 14 where Philip said, all we want to do is to see the Father, just show us the Father and that will be enough. And Jesus said, Philip, don't you get it? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me and the words that I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. As Jesus submitted to the rule and the reign of the Father, the Father who was living in him was expressing the life of God through Jesus himself. Jesus said this all the time. When you look at this in the scriptures, look for it, you'll find it all over the place. John 5, 19, Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus is speaking to us not just as the son of God, but as a man, just like you and me. John 10, 37, do not believe me unless I do what my father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Jesus is pointing to the Father, communicating to everyone that this source of power, these miracles, these actions come from the Father who is enabling me to do them. John 12, 49, for I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. The very words that Jesus Christ was saying were enabled and empowered by the Father working in him. Jesus demonstrated to you and me as a man how we were meant to live. 
And as he came to this earth and was leaving, he told his disciples and told us that I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. A little further down, he says, all that belongs to the Father is mine. And that is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and will make it known to you. In his prayer to the Father, he says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one. I in them and you in me, that they may perfectly become one, that the world may know that you sent me. This is the life that we are called to live, not our own, but Christ in us, working through us. In a couple months, going to head uh, on a plane uh, across the ocean. I'll actually be taking a sabbatical. Uh, it is my 14th year at Redeemer. My 15th will be in August. And per the elders who I'm so grateful for, every seven years I take a three-month sabbatical. The word sabbatical means to cease, to stop, to have a chance to be spiritually renewed before the next leg of ministry. So I'll be going overseas with my lovely wife, and we will be uh, doing a hike for a couple weeks in Portugal, a spiritual pilgrimage. But to get over there, I've got to take a plane, and we're going to take a Boeing 777, which is the workhorse of the Boeing line. A Boeing 777 has a cruise range of 8,400 miles, can take about 400 passengers, 600 miles an hour for 8,400 miles. Think of that. They cost about $375 million, one of the most sophisticated pieces of technology on the planet. But do you know amidst all of the technology and all of the features and functionality of that plane, the most important thing necessary to make that plane do what it's designed to do is the pilot. See, that plane isn't going anywhere until that guy gets in that seat and begins to direct it. The engines, the navigation, the landing, the takeoff, all of those pieces of the plane will then be responsive to the pilot as he directs them. Now imagine this plane was a a living organism itself. As a living organism, it still would never be able to take off because it's designed around that one person in the pilot's seat. Designed to respond to his command, his touch, his direction, his control. The Boeing 777 is an unbelievably sophisticated uh, piece of equipment but it's nowhere near the most sophisticated living creature ever designed, and that is you and me. My body, my brain, my mind, my emotions, my will, all of these things that make up me are designed to revolve and work around one person. Jesus Christ living in me through 
the Holy Spirit. But unlike a plane, we are not robots. We're not automatons. See, each one of us bears in our unique personality, body, emotions, the image of God. And each of us are called to participate joyfully in submitting and responding to the touch of Christ within us. See, at the end of the day, Christianity really is not that difficult or complicated at all. It's Christ in us, submitting to him as he directs us, moment by moment. Our job is to manifest the life of Christ in us as we joyfully surrender to him. And as Jesus showed us how to do that with the Father, so we are to do with the Son. We are not merely passive, nor yet does God do some and we do the rest. But God does all and we do all. God produces all and we act all. For that is what he produces, our own acts. God, through Jesus Christ in the Spirit, is the proper author and fountain, and we are the proper actors. There can be no hypocrisy when Christ is in us, living out through us. So is he in you? Don't leave without knowing the answer to that question. But if he is, are you trying to live the Christian life separated from Christ? Just me and my recipe book, but no reliance on Christ himself. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And as you remain and abide in me, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Who needs to get out of that driver's seat so Christ can get in? The formula is really simple. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty tired of trying to live the Christian life on my own strength, by my own wits, by my own will. Because principles have no power. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. And that's what the world is looking for, by the way. Not looking for nice people, not looking for people that do the right thing, the world is looking for people who are miracles, whose lives are unexplainable aside from the fact that the Spirit of God is working inside of them. As we take up the task for which we were made, the glory of God will be manifested in the world and Christ will be honored. It's not about what I know. 
It's about who I know. And what enables us to live like Christ is that Christ lives in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have sent to us Christ through your Holy Spirit. Jesus, we give you all praise and glory and honor for you reside in us. And every day when we awaken, you are there and desire to take mastery of every single part of us as we joyfully submit to you. There are places you want to take us, things you want us to say, words you want us to speak, lives you want us to touch. May we surrender and submit to you in us, our eyes fixed on you. And may you lead us in the path that you have for us, that you would be manifested in this world and that all would know that you are the Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.